Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to see you, especially those of us that uh, we saw each other for the last three days. It was almost like cabin fever, but I still liked seeing you every day. That was cool. And it was such a blessing to uh, give you, I'm sorry, give you coffee. Sorry, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you were there and I was able to give you coffee too, but it was really a blessing to really just sit and enjoy God's word and worship God together. And that was a real blessing. And if you weren't able to join us, I hope that we can get some of these messages online. I know that we recorded it and hope that you can listen to it. Uh, Pastor Dave from Mosaic, he's, he's our neighbor. Uh, he gave us such good messages, so I thank him for that and I praise God for uh, his ministry. Before I begin, um, it's Westminster. It's Westminster Catechisms, not Westminster. And so Westminster is the, the seminary that, uh, you know, one of our youth pastors goes to. Westminster is, is you know, Westminster Abbey, you know, in, in England, west of London, Westminster. And so we're going to do the Westminster Catechism for the next two years. It's the shorter catechism, and it's only going to take two years, okay? There is a larger, longer, <clears throat> excuse me, catechism. And it's called the Westminster Longer Catechism, or Larger Catechism. That takes a little longer than two years. That takes about three. But we're going to do the Shorter Catechism. Uh, for the past year, in the past year, we did uh, the New City Catechism. And we gave out cards this past year, I think, for every week. Uh, if anybody collected, did anybody collect it? Did anybody finish collecting it? Amy, Grace, who else? Albert, Josh, four. Ooh, we have, wow, we have the Konzanim. Well, okay, that's, that's awesome. Uh, anybody else? Okay, so if you did collect it, I promised an amazing gift. So if you did collect it, bring your proof uh, next week, and then I will hand it to you. It'll be a prayer. No, it, it, it'll be good. It'll be good. 
it, the prayer is awesome, but it'll be good. I promise you, bring it next week. I'm so surprised. That's amazing. I'm so happy. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So welcome to 2019. And as we enter 2019, we're continuing with Matthew. And then we have the three points for today's message is culture, revenge, and love. And it's not culture in the way you think a culture. And so I want to go over a little bit very briefly with you what I mean. And Pastor Paul went over this about three weeks ago when he said, you have heard that it was said. And this passage, again, starts off with, you have heard that it was said. In fact, it's the last portion of this Sermon on the Mount or the good news proclamation of the kingdom that we start with, you have heard that it was said. So you have heard that it was said was actually in reference to literally that people were saying these things. This was the dominant culture and understanding of the day. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And today we also have things that we are inundated with and we can also equate it to you have heard that it was said. So what are you hearing? What are you hearing through your social media? What are you hearing in your TVs? What are you hearing when you watch movies, when you read books? Whenever, whenever you expose yourself to the world or at the culture at large, what are you hearing? Because you have heard that it was said is exactly what Jesus says. He goes, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And I think it's important that we understand this, especially in today's culture, because I want to talk about justice and this today has a lot to do about justice, but in particular, I'm going to pick out one part where a lot of our culture today brands this form of justice, and we call it social justice. I'm sure you've heard of the term social justice, especially if you're in college. Social justice is a term you must be familiar with. What is confusing, however, is what does that exactly mean? Where did it come from? Did social justice always exist the form or the understanding that social justice is a thing. And it's actually a Roman Catholic term that originated in 1840. So it's, it's, a, it's a very new term. Um, it was used for something else, but today we've adopted it and we now want to use the term social justice uh, to talk about distribution of material advantage, disadvantage, access, and things of that nature. And so we've, turned, we've coined the term social justice, different from its original meaning, now to say something else. And then if you have studied in university or any kind of formal education system, every school system has a different understanding of social justice. And this is a little difficult because if you say that, it's, it infuriates the people that you say that to. And so I have come up with five really, really quick things. I don't want to spend too much time on it. 
but this is what social justice means to some organizations, particular groups and things like that. And this is how they will live out social justice. And I, I don't want to repeat what I said before too much, but I will say it's interesting that whenever we put an adjective in front of a word, it's interesting that sometimes it's to degradate the full meaning of the word. So would you say, I want justice for poor, the poor? I want justice for the minority. I want justice for those in the outskirts and margins of society. Or would you say social justice? And what does, what's the difference between the two terms if I say I want social justice or social reform to happen versus just justice? I want justice. And so what does it mean? Number one, really quickly, uh, some people coined the term social justice to mean distribution. Distribution. We want to distribute equally or distribute on just some kind of ground. The confusion here lies in um, on what terms? On what terms are we distributing? Is it your terms? Or is it the state's terms? Meaning the government's terms. And so when I, I guess when I was younger, there was this popular video that came out and talking about different distribution, like the 1% had this much income versus, you know, the average person would have like this much and it's so disproportionate that we should be outraged, outraged. And so a lot of people, when they saw this video, they were outraged. Like, how can the rich be so much richer than me? How can the rich have these kind of cars and luxury items and houses and take helicopters wherever they want? And I heard one amazing story about how this one particular celebrity, when they want food, they actually helicopter or fly in uh, a cook in France to New York so that he can cook them food and then they'll fly him back uh, because he doesn't want to go to France himself and things like that. And then so people be outraged. But the question still remains, if you're outraged about distribution, on what terms do we distribute? People, ah, this is just a dumb question. Stop asking these questions, you know. But honestly, is it your terms? Is it the state's terms? Whose terms is it that we distribute? And I think that's a really good question. Number two is equality. So some people mean equality when they, when they say social justice. And so what happened, though, over time is when we use the word equality, 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 and you must have heard it a lot. Uh, the ideology started to form that equality is good. So if, we, if I say the word equality, no one thinks it's bad. They're like, whoa, that's a bad word. The ide ideology that's formed is equality is good, but there is another caveat, another uh, tag along to that sentence. Equality is good and needs to be enforced. Equality is good and ought to be enforced. And this is what you're learning. And so... That's what happened to the word equality. This is good, and it ought to be enforced. It suggests fairness, equity, or whatever is equitable. And what is equitable, people have been starting to see that we're fighting for equality, but it's not the same portions. So what is equal is not necessarily the same portions or we should give now what is proportionate to people's 
efforts, perhaps, or to people's needs, perhaps, but it's not all the same portions. So if I shouldn't be driving necessarily a really nice car. I should be driving a medium nice car. Um, <laughs> I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. A medium nice car, okay? Um, only because, you know, if I had a really nice car, I would, I would take advantage and I would totally misuse it. Uh, we all have this sense of justice and equity and all this thing. But what, is, what does that really mean? And so who gets to decide? Once again, the question is, who gets to decide uh, who gives what or what is proportionate? And then there's another notion. It's called the common good. The common good. Who gets to decide what the common good is? And there's a misuse of the word common good all throughout the last few decades. And it was especially seen when... Uh, Soviet Russia, they would use this term. They call people comrades. I don't know if you're familiar, but if you grew up in the 80s or you were alive in the 80s, you knew people call each other comrades, and they would really emphasize this common good. There was an ambassador uh, to the, from the United States to the Soviet Union, and there was an issue that took place, and the issue was there was, uh, one, there was a married couple. One person was from the U.S., and the other person in this married couple was from the Soviet Union. And because it was, you know, Soviet Union was a regime, um, they needed to be decided who, who owns this couple or who does this couple like belong to in a sense, nationality and things like that. And sh the US came and said they should be able to choose. They should be able to choose whether they want to live in the US or the Soviet Union. But the Soviet Union, uh, their delegation, they insisted they, they resisted. They resisted, say, no. And they, they resisted in the name of common good. And they said, we invested a great sum of money into this individual, to each educate, educating each individual in the Soviet Union. So that means the common good, according to the Soviet Union's terms, means they demand comparable reparations or contributions in return. So that means the Soviet partner couldn't leave the Soviet Union because individual desires, according to them, must bow to the common good of all. So the question, again, still remains. Even if you say social justice is the common good, who gets to decide what the common good is? There's a fourth one. It's called the progressive agenda. Um, the progressive agenda is really interesting, and this is what of our, a lot of our young people are recognizing is well, I agree with one thing, but I don't agree with all things. Let's say, for example, the political party. So you could join a political party. You could be like, I agree with one thing, but I don't agree with all these things. Or you could join a march or a movement. I agree with this one thing, but I don't agree with all things. But you'll see that as time progresses, you need to agree with all the things to really be part of that group. And if you don't agree with all the things then you are completely in the wrong, even if you agree with one thing. Um, if you don't agree with one of our ideals, so they would say, you don't agree with all of our, our ideals. And the culture has moved now that even if we say some things like, we even have it in our everyday language, like if I go, that's so bougie. Uh, young people say that to each other, that's so bougie. It's like a bad thing. 
Uh, this is from the bourgeoisie, right? And so it's from actually the middle class and Marxist, Marxist society and things like that. And now we say bougie is like this crazy thing, like, oh, that's so bougie. And it's a negative term. And so even like enjoying something, even being an artisan in something or like being good at like maybe eating pizza and we're going to have pizza after uh, service today and it's not going to be really good pizza. It's going to be Domino's. But uh, let's say I was a person that really enjoyed pizza. Just for example, as just an example, random example, I really enjoy pizza and then I would be able to tell you if this is a good slice of pizza by the cheese that they used, right? If it was good, if it was fresh, if it was of good quality, right? Or the sauce, it had tanginess, it had sweetness at the same time, but it's not overpowering. It was salty enough, right? But it was powerful enough that it wouldn't overpower the cheese. And then the crust needs to be soft in between the sauce and the bottom. It needs to be crispy or a little hard. And that's a good slice of pizza. I'm just... For example, I don't know anything, but I'm just saying, for example, people would say, oh, that's so bougie. But then what happens now is anytime we enjoy something, if we have a nice car, or if we have a nice home, or if we have anything nice, people go, that's so bougie. But what are we doing? Culturally, we're bringing down people who enjoy things, right? So if I enjoy a slice of pizza or a nice like French dish or whatever it is, you bring that person down, it's like, you think you're better than me. You're so bougie. But then what happens is we start now denigrating people who actually like a particular art or a subject or something that they're good at. How do you get good pizza? How do you get good pizza? Not by Domino's taking over the world. It's not. You got to get these bougie people who talk about pizza like it's their life, and they got to start making that pizza. And then you're like, wow, this is good pizza. I'm so happy I get to taste the difference between Domino's and this pizza. I'm sorry, there's Domino's after. I hope you still enjoy it. It's actually from me. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, but I'm not bougie. It's all good. Uh, but there is this agenda, we call it the progressive agenda, that's going on that we want to just kind of bring people down to this one level and who gets to decide what that level is? Who gets to decide what that ideal is? And that's a good question in my opinion. Finally, the fifth one is compassion. Compassion sounds like it's a good thing. It's, it's a really good word. But let me quickly just say this. More sins have been, have been committed in the name of compassion in the last 150 years than by any force in history. More sins have been committed in the name of compassion in the last 150 years than any other system or any other force in history by the Nazis, by the communists, by the African and Asian despots. They justify their regimes and they call it socialist, right? And they killed millions and millions upon millions of people. They use the word compassion to blind people. And we have to recognize there is a true form of compassion and there is a false form of compassion. How do we know which form we're following? How do we know if the social justice reform is really a true form of compassion or not? And that's why Jesus, he starts off by saying, 
You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So our world will say things. The leaders of the world will say things. But we have to recognize we are hearing things from the world, but what are we hearing from Jesus? What is the word of God telling us when it comes to issues like revenge, when it comes to issues like hating your enemies or loving your enemies, whatever that means. And that is why what Jesus is doing, he is bringing the good news of the kingdom. He's showing us it's different in my kingdom. It's different in my kingdom. You have heard it said and you've lived this life and everybody's angry. It's group on group versus group versus group all the time. And they just think if this one group wins out, then there will be peace. And every time one group wins out, there's catastrophe in the world, even in the name of compassion. And we always think we know better. Not this time, not this time. This time, there's a good movement. But Jesus goes and says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he gives us good news. And the good news, another word for good news, is the gospel. He gives us the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? You know, Charles Hodge says, the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. The gospel is so simple that a child can understand it, but at the same time so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. And over the course of pastoring, I've encountered an astonishing number of people who cannot articulate what the gospel is. And if we don't know what the gospel is, aren't we the saddest people of all? If we do not know, if we, sitting right here, do not know what the gospel is, shouldn't we be pitied the most? But there is another force at work. And this force wouldn't change, perhaps, completely or nullify. But what the enemy does, it neutralizes the definition or the usefulness of the gospel by addition. We add stuff to it. By subtraction, we take stuff out. Or by substitution, we'll just say, we'll switch this, you know, for something else. And finally, I want us to know and Burke Parsons says this, it's vital that we understand that just because a preacher talks about Jesus, the cross, or heaven, that does not mean he is preaching the gospel. Just because a preacher talks about Jesus, the cross, and heaven, it doesn't mean he's preaching the gospel. And just because there is a church building on every corner, it does not mean the gospel is preached on every corner. The question you should ask today is we have heard that it was said, but what's the gospel? Can you articulate to me what's the gospel? You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And the first part of this passage is about our sense of justice. Our sense of justice we all have a sense of justice. We have this intrinsic belief that we are 
just when we decide these things. And when something would go against it or obfuscate it, right? Or change it or challenge it or push it or deny it, then we start coming up and we start to go crazy. We refuse to tolerate any sense of injustice. Um, I'll just give you an example. Sometimes I wonder if things happen to me because God's like, I'm going to show you exactly what I mean when you preach this. And that's really interesting. So I moved into Ridge Field a few months ago. And it's a nice neighborhood. My wife and I enjoy uh, the, the town there. We have a good neighbor upstairs, and he and I, we get along. <clears throat> um, one day, I was driving to church a few months ago, and I realized that my mirror, on the mirror on the car, the side molding was gone. So I was really confused. I think you know where I might be going. I was really confused. I was like, why is my side molding gone? So I parked at church. I met with the other staff. And I was like, I think I need to just go back. My molding's gone. I need to find it. And then when I drove back on the sidewalk, uh, like a, a house in front of me. So if this is my house on the street, there's a house. My neighbor, I parked it in front of their house. And then it was right there where I parked it on the street. So someone had ripped off my molding and then put it on the street. So that was really weird to me. So I didn't know what to do. So I thought, you know what, I'll just call uh, the police department and make sure maybe there's some vandalism going on. I just want to be aware. I called them up and said, hey, I just moved in at this place. Uh, is, is, you know, is vandalism like prevalent here or do you have cases of vandalism? It's like, no, nothing. It's like, it's a really good neighborhood. It's like, okay, it just, this happens. It's like, do you want to file a police report? It's like, no, what would I file? That someone ripped off my mirror molding? And so he's like, yeah, why not? And I say, nah, it's okay. I'm sure it'll be, uh, I'm sure maybe some kids did it or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> but if you're, I don't know, I don't know if your upbringing is the same, you don't touch someone else's car. So if you, if I grew up in a place where if you touch my car, that means you touched me. So if you ripped off my mirror molding, that means I get to take a bat and smash your face. I mean, I'm just saying, that's, that's how I grew up. It's, it's not an eye for an eye. It's completely opposite. You have heard that it was said it was not even close when I grew up, right? The eye for an eye didn't match. But um, on New Year's Day, so this is New Year's Day, I parked it in the same place in front of my neighbor's house, and I walk out to grab my car because we're going to go to uh, all my, my family to do the New Year's, um, you know, like the bowing and stuff, the greetings. And my windshield wiper was ripped off. And so I just almost lost it. Uh, <clears throat> Esther was there. She can attest to it. She's like, why aren't you getting in the car? And I just stood there with a windshield wiperless car <laughs> looking at it. And then I, I have a pretty loud voice. I, I, I think I do. And if I really project, I can project louder than most. I projected with all that I had. In my guttural kind of being, my diaphragm was used at a 100%. I projected and I screamed out, who is touching my car, right? <laughs> Who is touching my car, right? And I was so upset. 
And then I stood there because it was 8 a.m. I stood there to make sure all my neighbors heard. And then after a few minutes, I screamed out again, don't touch my car. And then I kept on looking. I, I kind of pointed at this particular house, which is my neighbor, <laughs> and then to see if they make sure they heard me. And then I thought about it. Man, I know I'm going to be preaching on this in two weeks. <laughs> what is going on, right? I just can't even get angry. What's going on? But <clears throat> when you continue to think about it, uh, and, and my wife was really upset for me. I, I almost didn't go. I was going to like bang on the door and do what, like, you know, what do you got? Bring it. You know, that was kind of my thought. Like, what, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> why are you such a sniveling coward? If you have something, and I have no reason why. I, I don't know why. I think, I honestly think maybe it's because I parked in front of their house and they just don't like it. Like, they just don't park in front of my house. And they could have just easily told me. I think I'm a nice guy. I would have not parked there. But I guess there are things like crazy neighbors that you have to deal with in Jersey. I don't know. It, it may be a thing. But if you continue to go down this, like every time we come up with a subject, I've invited you to do something, is go down the rabbit hole with me. No matter what theological subject it is <clears throat> or what philosophical subject it is, go down the rabbit hole with me. How would I exact justice? If someone did that to your car, how would you react? Just for no reason, like damage and destroy it. Now I feel like, Oh, so my engine light has been turning on and off for the last, like, two months. Maybe it was something they did. Now it's all coming back to me. And these are the only two things that I saw. But I saw, like, my engine light was going in and out. And my brother Eugene, I would tell him, he's like, oh, just figure out what that uh, engine light means. And so I even had to buy a little thing which shows you what, uh, what code it is. So I figure out exactly what's going on. But it will go in and out. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. What, what if that happened to you? How would you feel? And especially if you like taking care of your car or your house or something that you own, or if you feel like you, this is yours or this belongs to you, or this is something that you should have access to, like you just should, wouldn't your sense of justice just go in red mode? Go down the rabbit hole with me. How angry are you when something like injustice happens? What do you want to do? How do you want to react? I know someone, uh, when, when the riots were happening, um, they changed their Facebook to, uh, to kill your racist or kill a racist that you know. That was their Facebook thing. And people would say, please, please just change it back, don't put this in. But think about it. Go down the rabbit hole with me. What is equal to you? What is an eye for an eye? You touch my car, I really take a bat. I do have a bat in the trunk of my car, and people ask, why do you have a bat? It's like, because I grew up in Queens. Well, but seriously, uh, I like baseball. I never play, but I just like it, right? Um, but, you know, you take a bat and you smash their car in, is that equal? You know, you rip off their molding and then you're fine? that kind of thing, um, go down the rabbit hole and you will see that what has happened is when someone does you a wrong and your sense of justice flares up and you get so angry and you get to do whatever you want because you have the power to. Let's say you have the power to. 
You get to do whatever you want to them. And then it goes back and forth. I'm gonna ask you the question, does it bring peace? Does it bring peace? We all know the play Romeo and Juliet, right? The Capulets and the Montagues, right? They go back and forth. Did it bring peace? Did it bring peace? Or does it only escalate? In our sense of justice, when we feel like an injustice has been done and we get to retaliate the way we feel like we should, does it bring peace? That's a good question I hope that you can ask yourself. And Jesus goes, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And where did the people get that? An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's actually in the Bible. It's even in Exodus. But it was for judging purposes. That means a government or a judge that needed to do something. Let's say someone took out someone's eye. They needed to judge. That's what they did. It's about fairness and equity in the judge uh, justice system. But people took that and say, I am now going to exact this justice myself. So that's what, because you have heard that it was said that people are saying that to people. So if I took out, if I punched you in the face, it's like eye for an eye, and I punch you right back. And the other person would be like, an eye for an eye, and they punch them right back. And it would go back and forth. But he goes like this. Jesus says this, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, I want you to point to your right cheek, point to your right cheek. So if someone slaps you on the right cheek, most people were righties, right? So have someone slap you on the right cheek means they backhand slapped you. And so if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, and this person is evil, this is the context that we're in, this evil person slaps you on the right cheek. And back then, that was such a degrading, terrible thing to do that if someone backhand slapped you, that, was all, that you could bring them to court. That's how bad that was. And even now, in our culture, someone backhand slaps you, there are many words for that because it's not a good thing. It's not like, yay, birthday, you know, birthday gift, backhand slap. No one says that because it's a terrible thing. But Jesus goes, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What's that? And I'm thinking, give him my other windshield wiper? I, I'm, what is going on? Well, how do I live this out, Jesus? This is crazy. It makes no sense. No sense. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, which is your outer clothing, let him have your cloak as well. Give him your inner clothing. What am I going to walk around naked, Jesus? So I get it. Like, okay, maybe lust. Uh, I, it's hard, but I could do it. Um, adultery, divorce, anger. It's hard, but I'll try. And then I come to this portion, which is the same portion. If anyone sues you to take your outer clothing, give them your underwear. What am I going to walk around naked, Jesus? And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Forcing someone to go one mile is a very long force. Like, I can't even force people to go to the gym with me. Ask Esther. But I can't force people to go to the gym with me, and that's like a 10-minute ride. But walking a mile with stuff on you, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, 
and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That is what I, I sermon's done, guys. Let's go home. But seriously, like, what, what do I do? How do I live that out? Is it just culture? Oh, it's back in Jesus' time, so forget it. I don't think so. Jesus is literally saying that. I say to you. And then he goes, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, prayer, I believe, is one of the best gifts that we can give somebody. And last night when we got together, we loved each other by praying for each other. We took the most vulnerable in our group, which would be young children, families of young children. We put them in the middle. We prayed for them. We took our college students. We put them in the middle. We prayed for them. We took those that we really loved, and we put them in the middle. We prayed for them. That's like, like one of the best things that you could do if you love somebody. You pray for them. And he goes, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So you want to be part of Jesus' crew. This is what he is telling you to do. Now, I could be like, up before I could be like, this is too much. This is too much, God. But he goes, you want to follow me. This is what you got to do. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And he shows, look, I'm going to take the perspective out from you now, your sense of injustice that's raging. And I want you to put it, and he goes, put your eyes on God. God sees all this, and yet he still gives rain and sun on everybody. And I want you to be like that. I want you to look at God and see what God is doing. But if you don't, in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So if we just hang out with our own group and we're like, yeah, you know, you do me good. I do you good. We're good. You know, you take care of me. I take care of you. You scratch my back. I scratch your back and all that stuff. That's what everybody else does. That's what he's saying. That's what the world does already. There's nothing special about it. So if I buy you a cup of coffee, it's like, I like Pastor Gene now. I'm going to buy him a cup of coffee. And then you just have, we just have a happy, happy relationship. But he's like, that's what everybody does. However, that's not what you are to do. How are you to act? And he ends it this way. If this wasn't hard before, if the passage before wasn't hard, he ends this portion like this. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Then he just caps it off. Just be perfect. That's how you do it. Just be perfect. And there's a lot of bumper stickers and a lot of these like, uh, little platitudes that you would see, oh, you know, I'm human, so it's okay to make mistakes. Actually, Jesus says the opposite. If you're human, you should be perfect. What is going on here? This is really, really, really tough. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is showing us what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. Before we started, before we started with, uh, you have heard that it was said, 
He said, Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We know what the world is like. But Jesus is showing what the kingdom of heaven is like. The world is like this, but the kingdom of heaven is like this. Not only that, why, you have to think, why is he showing us this, these things? Is he just saying these things, going, yeah, yeah, like you can't do it, but this is it. Or is he showing it to us because this is what he wants to bring and that he's bringing to us? This is the kingdom that he is bringing to us. And when he goes, when you are in my kingdom, this is what your life looks like. You have heard that it was said is what your past life was. But now when you're in this kingdom of mine that I am bringing, your life will be like this because this is my kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, this is my kingdom and I'm going to remake your lives and make your life fit. And when you are thinking this, it will be contrary to everything that you have felt in your gut of what your sense of justice was. If someone messes with my car, I get to punch them in the face. That's what my, my gut, I'm going to be honest, that's what my gut tells me. You don't mess with that. Like, there's some things you just don't mess with. And I grew up, where I grew up, you don't mess with people's cars. You just don't. You don't, you don't, I don't know, maybe I'm making too much of a point, but you don't. But what Jesus is telling us is contrary to everything that we think is our sense of justice. And what is that really getting at? Here are the things that we talked about. Anger. Who doesn't get angry? And yet he goes, if you get angry, it's like murder. Not, it's like, it is murder. You got angry with someone? You murdered them. It's like lust and divorce. You do these things, it's adultery. Adultery is punishable by death. Who hasn't broken that? Like today. I don't know. Like seriously. Anger. Like just drive your car down the road and have someone cut you off. What about oaths? Whenever, when was it when you said, oh, I'll do it, and you didn't do it? When was the last time you broke an oath? What about revenge and vengeance? An eye for an eye. Like when someone does something to you, you hate that person. I'm going to get that person back. Or I'm going to cut them off from my fellowship or my grace. I'm not going to say hi to them. Why should I say hi to them? When was, when's the last time you actually did all these things? Loving your enemies? Let's not even go there about loving your enemies. We have he, people here, and they're our enemies. People right next to you, they're your frenemies, or whatever you want to call it. Loving your enemies. And Jesus ends it like this. You must be perfect. Just like your heavenly Father is perfect. What's the good news? What's the gospel? What's the gospel? We failed at every single point of this. I, I, for myself, we failed. It's terrible. And life just gets worse. It does. It doesn't get better. No matter where I place my hope, it doesn't get better. What's the gospel? Gospel means good news. 
It's the good news of what God did for his people. It's the good news of what God did for his people. Anger? Jesus has every right to be angry. But he loved us. He gave us his word. He spent time with us. Lust? He had a pure love that couldn't compare with any of the world. Divorce, olds, he always kept his word. He always kept his word. Revenge? (laughs) Of all the people that have lived in this world, who had more right to revenge than Jesus? He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And we came up to him. People came up to him. And they slapped him on the right cheek. They punched him. They beat him and said, prophesy, who hit you? They laughed at him. They not only took his tunic and his cloak, but they stripped him naked. And they forced him to go not just one mile, but two carrying a cross. Jesus did these things. That's the good news. When we couldn't, Jesus did it. That's the good news. He lived the perfect life. The Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, and he lived perfectly, fulfilling the law, and he died sacrificially, atoning for our sins, satisfying God's wrath so we wouldn't have to go to hell. And then he raised them up from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the victorious announcement that we can make to all sinners, and especially me. Make it to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. This is how God saved me. He sent Jesus, and he lived that perfect life when I couldn't. I get mad when someone takes like a windshield wiper off. How pathetic is that? I couldn't live in the kingdom of God the way I should have. And I just deteriorate, and I make others Bad and worse. But this is what God did for us. He sent his son and he lived that perfect life. And now we see it. We saw how exactly he did that. You place your faith in him. What he does is he takes you under his wing. And then you get to walk with him. And he shows you this really is the good way. Because this is my kingdom. What's the gospel? The Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly, fulfilling the law, to die sacrificially, atoning for our sins, satisfying God's wrath against us that we wouldn't have to go to hell. And he raised them up from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's the good news. That's what we've been given. That's the gospel. And I want you to know, when you believe the gospel, Jesus now takes your life 
as hard as these things may be, and he's going to say, stop looking at yourself and look at me. And he's going to make you more and more like him. He is. And there's no more fear because he has you. There's no more fear. I have to live this perfect life. Oh my gosh, this is exactly the rules that I have to say. If someone does this to me, I should, I should even go do this. But Jesus now takes you and he leads you and he shows you what true love is. He shows you that now I can love like God has loved. How did God love? How did God love? He gave sun and rain to even those who did evil. Now I can love and I can show people what God's love is like. He does it through me. That's what every time I say we are salt and light, we're showing God's people or the other people around us what God's love is like. That's the good news. My friends, we've heard the good news today. It's what Jesus did. He didn't just proclaim and say, boom, he didn't give it just on us because we could not have fulfilled it. But he says what the truth is and he fulfilled it. Place your faith in him. Place your trust in him. In 2019, say, I will follow Jesus. Lord, guide my footsteps. And know this, that he will hold you in his mighty hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news and we thank you for the gospel. What you did for us as your people, making us your own, sending us your son to live perfectly, fulfilling the law, dying sacrificially, atoning for our sins, satisfying your wrath, that instead of facing hell for eternity, just as the Holy Spirit raised you up from the dead, in faith now we can also be raised from death to life. What a victorious announcement. And this is what we will proclaim all the days of our lives, and especially now as we partake in the bread and the cup. Let's take this time to pray, and let's take this time to pray and offer our hearts to the Lord. In 2019, let's pray that God would lead our footsteps that God would guide us and he would show us the right way, that our sense of justice will be in line and in tune with his. Won't you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to transform your hearts? And let's pray now.